We're in Genesis chapter 41 today. You're looking at the fact that it's too soon to quit, right? We, we can't quit, can't give up. So according to the Encyclopedia Americana and other biographical material, the following facts describe a man born February 12, 1809. Listen to some of these facts. Age seven, his family was forced out of their home on a legal technicality. Age seven, he had to go to work cutting trees, plowing, and harvesting to help support his family. Age nine, his mother died and his family lived almost in squalor. Age 12, his new mother, a widow with three other children, sought to have him receive some formal schooling, but he attended school less than a year. Age 22, he worked as a store clerk in a failing business, then joined the Army for eight months. Age 23, he ran for the Illinois legislature. Age 24, he bought a store on credit with a partner. Age 25, he was elected to the Illinois House of Representatives, and again at ages 27, 29, and 31. Age 26, his business partner died, leaving him with a huge debt that took years to repay. Age 27, he uh, obtained a license to practice law. Age 28, uh, legend claims that after courting a girl for four years, she refused his proposal of marriage. This guy, man. Age 29, he was defeated for Speaker of the State Legislature. Age 31, he was defeated for uh, elector. Age, 20, or age 33, he married. Age 37, on his third try, he was elected to U.S. Congress. Age 39, he was defeated for re-election to Congress. Age 41, his four-year-old son died. Age 46, he was defeated for U.S. Senate. Age 47, he was defeated for vice presidential nomination. Age 49, uh, he was defeated for U.S. Senate again. <laughs> this dude keeps going, right? Age 51, he was elected president of the United States. Age 56, he died, April 15, 1865. Did you guess who it is? Abe Lincoln, that's right. So that's the record of Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States. It's a brief history of a man whom most considered to be one of the greatest leaders in the history of this country. What if Abraham Lincoln had quit at 22, at 31 or 49? We would have been deprived of the privilege of having one of the greatest presidents this country has ever known. God's timing in his life and is, um, God's timing is his timing and is seldom known uh, to humans until after the fact. But it's always too soon to quit pursuing what's right and good. Isn't that so true? It's just too soon. We don't know what God's doing sometimes behind the scenes, but we know that he's working. He can be trusted. Judy and I have trusted the Lord for his timing, his wisdom, and his plan in all areas of our lives, time and time again. When I've transitioned from one position to another and one ministry to another, we trusted God for his timing, his plan, and his wisdom. When we moved from one state to another, we trusted uh, the Lord. When, he, um, when we bought our first home and then eventually sold it, we trusted in his timing, his, purpose, his purpose, his plan, and his wisdom. When Judy stayed home with our children while they were in school, and when she returned to teaching, we trusted in his timing, in his uh, wisdom, and in his plan. We knew that we could trust God to provide every time and to guide us every time. You know, as individuals, all of us can probably look back over our lives and see how God provided his perfect timing, his wisdom, and his plan for us. And because of his faithfulness in the past, we can trust God to do the same in the future. You know, as a church, we've trusted the Lord for his timing, his wisdom, and his plan. 
we trusted the Lord in those three areas when looking for a new pastor, when needing finances, when deciding on what missionaries to support, determining what mission trips to take, when we added on to the gym, when we added the gym on in the 1990s, and when will we expand again? We are just trusting God for His timing, His plan, and His wisdom in all of those areas. So Joseph, that's who we've been talking about in Genesis right now. He's been, he's been trusting God since being sold into slavery by his brothers. He trusted God when he was falsely accused and then incarcerated. He trusted God to give him wisdom in interpreting the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. He waited patiently for God's timing to be released from prison, especially since the chief cupbearer forgot about him. He trusted God for his plan even when he was in prison. Joseph will once again trust God for his timing, wisdom, and plan, as we'll see today. And through Joseph's example, we can realize our big idea today, that God can be trusted. He can be trusted for his timing and his wisdom and his plan. So as we let that big idea kind of sink into our hearts and minds today, would you just bow your heads with me as we commit it to the Lord in prayer? Lord, we come to you today. We're needy people. We need you today. Lord, there's areas of our lives that we need to trust you in. I pray that as we look at these uh, three areas today of your timing and, your, and uh, your wisdom and your plan, I pray that you would just work in the hearts and minds of your people today, that they would see where they need to trust you and where they can trust you, Lord God, for all of those things. I pray that you would work by your Holy Spirit uh, and only allowing me to speak your words today. Lord, we just want to hear from you. And so we thank you for your word, that it's inerrant, that it's true, that we can uh, use it as our guidebook for life. And so, Lord, we just lift it all up to you today, and, and we uh, are grateful for your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dig in. We're looking at the whole chapter, chapter 41. I'm sorry, not the whole chapter. Verses 1 to 38, almost the whole chapter. But um, let's look at verse, just the first part of verse 1. We see this time stamp there. It says, when two full years had passed. So what the, what's the, the author of Genesis telling us here? So this is two full years have passed since Joseph interpreted the dreams of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Joseph has now been in prison for about 10 years, and he's trusted God during those 10 long years. Now, while it may seem like an eternity, Joseph could trust that God's timing was perfect. That's our first principle today. I want us to not walk away from that. It's right here at the very beginning. God's timing is perfect in our lives. How many of us would have been impatient and critical of God had we been in the same situation as Joseph? We've been like, where is God? Why, why did the, cup, you know, the chief cupbearer forget about me? God, do you even care about me? Are you concerned about Yeah, he is, but he has this perfect timing that he's lined out for us. And while we don't always understand his perfect timing, we know in hindsight, as, as we talked about earlier, that in hindsight we realized, yeah, God was in control. He was sovereign. He was working out his perfect plan his perfect, with his perfect wisdom and his perfect time. The Israelites struggled to trust God when they were wandering through the desert, right? They complained often about the leaders that God had placed over them, Moses and Aaron and even Joshua. They were complaining about the fact that there was a lack of food and water for them and even much more. They just complained all the time and they weren't 
they weren't able to trust God for His timing, His wisdom, and His plan in their lives. So for us today, is there a situation that you're currently going through that seems like it will never end or that it'll ever happen, right? Maybe we're in one of those two situations or maybe we're in both of those. We're in this one where we're like, is this ever going to end? Am I ever going to make it through this particular situation, this hardship, this difficulty? Or maybe you're saying, is this ever going to happen? And we're going to talk about some of those specifics today. So, are you still waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright? Some of us might be. Is that injury or illness still plaguing you? Maybe you're saying, when is school ever going to be done? Hang in there. You have like two to four weeks, and you should be good right? for the summer. <laughs> Will I ever find a job? Will I ever get out, of the, get out from underneath this debt that's just looming? Maybe some of you are thinking today, I wish we could buy a house. Or some of you may be thinking, I'm just tired of constantly dealing with drama in my family. Maybe some of us are thinking, Will God ever answer my prayer? Oh, God ever answer my prayer about salvation for my spouse? My child, my grandchild, my parent, my coworker, my neighbor my boyfriend, my girlfriend, the list could just go on and on. And as we wrestle through these scenarios, we can trust that God's timing is perfect. So don't doubt his sovereignty or his timing. Just trust him. And that's the first next step on the back of your communication card today. Maybe you just need to take that step, and it says to trust God's perfect timing to accomplish, and just fill in that blank. What do you need to trust him for, for the timing of any situation or scenario that you're going through? And again, maybe it's something that you're wishing you could get out of, or maybe it's something you're wishing would happen, and it hasn't happened yet. We can rest assured that God can be trusted today. And so Joseph was still waiting to be released since he was innocent of all the charges brought by Potiphar's wife. But everything was about to change. We see Pharaoh's dream here. Look at verses, the second half of verse 1 through verse 7. This is what God's Word says. Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile. When out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. And so, in Pharaoh's dream, he was standing by the Nile River. That's not unusual. That's the... 
life source for all of Egypt. And what Pharaoh saw first was not really unusual. There were these seven sleek and fat cows that came up out of the water and started to feed on the reeds along the bank. So in the hot climate of Egypt, cows would submerge themselves in the river and cool off, to cool off and to escape the insects. When they got hungry, they would come up out of the, the water and then eat the reeds along the bank of the river. Now what, ha- what Pharaoh saw next was unusual. Seven more cows come up out of the river, but these were ugly and gaunt. They were thin. They were unhealthy. They didn't start feeding on the reeds, which that would have made sense, right? Let's feed on the reeds because we're hungry. We're skinny. But they just stand there beside um, the other seven healthy cows. And then something completely bizarre happened, right? All of a sudden, these seven ugly, gaunt cows just swallow up the seven healthy cows. That's weird. And I think because of how odd that was, it just wakes Pharaoh up. And then what we see next is uh, when he he fell asleep again, he didn't stay awake for very long. He fell asleep again, and he had another dream. Seven healthy and good heads of grain were growing on one stalk. That symbolized abundance. Think about that. Seven heads of grain just fully grown on one stalk. That's phenomenal. And then on the same stalk, seven other heads of grain sprouted that were thin and scorched by the east wind. Now, Waltke says, resembling the Palestinian Sirocco, which is the wind, the Egyptian uh, Comson blows in from the Sahara Desert in late spring and early fall and often withers vegetation. Judy and I experienced something like this uh, in Southern California. They were called the Santa Ana Winds. And they were warm, dry winds that blow in from the desert during the fall and winter months. And what the, what, what, uh, it's a, it just dries everything out. And so it's always a concern because they contribute to the fast-moving wildfires that take place about that time of year. So we understand that a little bit. So these thin heads of grain, they swallow up the seven healthy full heads of grain. Again, something that's unusual is taking place here, something fantastic Pharaoh woke up again probably because the dream was so disturbing. And by God's providence, Pharaoh and the, his magicians and wise men did not understand the significance of the dreams. Now, with hindsight, you know, we uh, understand the importance of the symbols represented in the dream. <clears throat> Excuse me, just a minute. Kyle and Dillich in their commentary say this, For the cow was the symbol of Isis, the goddess of all sustaining earth, and in the hieroglyphics it represented the earth, agriculture, and food, and the Nile by its overflowing was the source of the fertility of the land. Bulk, he goes on and says, The river was the source of Egypt's, and so Pharaoh's power, fertility, and life. So there's some pretty significant symbols here that God is giving to Pharaoh in this dream. Now, we have the whole story, so we know that the Nile, the cows, and the grain represent uh, what they represent, but Pharaoh and his magicians and wise men did not. That seemed unusual. Look at verse 8, then, as we continue this uh, narrative this morning. In the morning... His mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dream, but no one could interpret them for him. 
So we see that Pharaoh's mind is troubled. It should be. There's some odd stuff going on here in this dream. How many of us have had odd dreams and we're like, I wonder what that meant? <laughs> like, that was really weird. Uh, you know, perhaps people from our past come up in our dreams or other things, you know, that are supernatural in nature uh, start happening and we're like, that was really bizarre. And so we wake up with a troubled mind. Pharaoh probably understood that something fantastic had taken place in his dream. He may have uh, even understood that the dream had something to do with the plentiful resources of Egypt, but he didn't know what it meant. <clears throat> so Pharaoh calls in the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Now, this was part of the culture of the day. Uh, they would have magicians that would interpret dreams. Matthew says this, the training center for the craft of being a magician was the House of Life. That was the name of that center. Uh, where guidebooks for dream interpretation were produced. These quote-unquote dream books are known um, from the 12th century, I'm sorry, which involved the interpretation of dreams by discerning puns and symbolic images. So they had these books, right, that they could consult. So cows represent this, and the Nile represents that, or grains, uh, uh, heads of grain represent this, and they have all these dream books where they, have, they can consult to say, well, this is what it means, and yet, in this scenario, they're consulting all these dream books, the magicians are, and they go, we have no idea what it's talking about. We don't know. And so the magicians were trained while the wise men were just educated and intellectually capable and perhaps experts in logic. So they would be able to see what the magicians are saying and go, well, that doesn't really make sense. I mean, logically, it just doesn't make sense. So those two working together were a powerful team in the culture of Egypt to be able to help with dream interpretation. And yet, that's not what happened. God's perfect timing had arrived. Look at verses 9 to 13. We're going to see that the cupbearer remembers, right? Verse 9, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the guard, captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young he Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. So if you remember, Pastor Mark shared with us about those several weeks ago, uh, that story of... Uh, you know, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So it was confession time, right? This uh, chief cupbearer uh, was probably in the court while Pharaoh shared his dream with the magicians and the wise men. When, they, when he realized that the magicians and the wise men could not interpret the dreams for Pharaoh, a light bulb lit up in his head. He's like, oh, oh, that guy that asked me to remember him, I totally forgot about him. I wonder how long ago that's been. Oh, it's been quite a while, like two years. He remembered that Joseph had interpreted his dream in the chief baker's dream. He probably also remembered Joseph's request that we see in chapter 40, verse 14, that says this, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now that he remembered Joseph, he mentioned him to Pharaoh. And so it's important for us to remember our shortcomings too. He mentions those to, the, to Pharaoh. I'm sure he didn't want to dwell on the fact that two years ago, uh, Pharaoh, I made you angry and you threw me in jail. 
He didn't want to bring that back up, but he goes, I remember that while I was there, this is what took place. You know, when the, uh, it's important for us to remember our shortcomings too. When the Holy Spirit brings to mind something we have uh, done wrong or something that we have neglected to do, it's important that we confess that shortcoming to the Lord and to those that we've wronged. So our second principle today is this, that God is pleased when we confess our sins. We see that in James chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Is any, of, uh, it, yeah, is any of you in trouble? He should pray. Is any, anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. John, writing in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, tells us this. If we confess our sins, he, that's God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He gives us that promise today. If we just agree with him about the wrong that we've done. And then the Hebrew writer tells us this in chapter 10, verses 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living um, way, I might have to get these out, sorry. (laughs) By a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Isn't that wonderful? We can have our hearts sprinkled, our bodies washed with pure water. And so the second next step might be for you today, and that's to confess my shortcomings to the Lord and to anyone I've wronged. So after the chief cupbearer confessed his shortcomings, he tells Pharaoh what happened to him two years ago. He reminds Pharaoh that he and the chief baker made him angry, and their punishment was to be imprisoned in the house of the captain and the guard. That was Potiphar's house. They both had a dream the same night. Both dreams had their own meaning. This young Hebrew who was a servant of the captain of the guard was there with them. They both told Joseph their dreams, and Joseph interpreted them. Now, if you remember that story, the chief cupbearer has his uh, dream interpreted first, and it's a positive outcome, like you're going to be restored to your position. So the chief baker's like, this is great. And so he he tells Joseph his dream, and then Joseph says, well, by the way, it's not going to turn out so well for you. (laughs) Um, You're going to die in three days. And the chief cupbearer is going to be restored in three days. And so that's exactly what took place. The chief cupbearer was restored. The chief baker was hanged. He lost his head. And this was just the news that Pharaoh wanted to hear, right? That there's somebody that can interpret dreams. He's like, I've told it to all the magicians, all the wise men. None of them can do anything about it. But there's somebody in my kingdom, in my realm, that can interpret dreams. Let's find them. Let's get them here. And so we see Joseph's release, if you look at verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. This was just what Joseph had been waiting for, right? God's perfect timing. God can be trusted for his perfect timing. Horace Bushnell says, Never think you could do something if only you had a different lot and sphere assigned to you. So he's like, "Don't, don't wish away where you're at thinking that you could do more if you were in a different position. 
He goes on and he says, what you call hindrances, obstacles, discouragements are, are probably God's opportunities. He's like, God's just holding you back. He's waiting for his perfect time, his perfect plan, and his perfect will and wisdom to be revealed. So he's like, don't wish that away because that's God's opportunities. So Joseph got ready to meet Pharaoh. He changed out of whatever clothing he was wearing to probably some nice linen clothes. And he also shaved, which probably meant both his hair and his beard. That was part of the culture, of, of the Egyptian culture, I mean. And it was per, perhaps for hygiene purposes. But most Hebrews would have had their hair and beards as part of their culture. The only time that the Hebrews uh, didn't have like their beard or their ha- hair was um, they would shave the head um, or the beard was reserved as an insult. We see that in 2 Samuel chapter 10, verse 5, or to show deep grief. But all other times they would have this, you know, a full head of hair and a beard. So Joseph was able to, to be clean shaven like the Egyptians without compromising his beliefs, just as Daniel was able to do the same in the Babylonian Empire. So what Joseph is doing here, he's able to do and still be a follower of Jesus, a follower of God. That's important. We can be in the world but not of the world, correct? That's what we should be doing. And so Joseph is ready to meet Pharaoh. The second point we see today is God's wisdom. Look at verses 15 to 32. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows, uh, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they had um, ate them, no one could tell that they, had, that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dreams, I also saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what, is about, what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven heads, or seven years, I mean, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is, uh, it is one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are, are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I had said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance of Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And so what we see here is that first Pharaoh tells Joseph what he has heard about him. He tells him that um, that he had heard that... Uh, First, he tells him that he had a dream that no one could interpret. Then second, he says, I heard that if you hear a dream that you're able to interpret it. And Joseph's not afraid to set uh, Pharaoh straight. He's before like the ruler of all of Egypt. And he goes, let me set you straight. I can't do it. He's not afraid to correct Pharaoh because he knows, (coughs) excuse me, he does not have any ability to to interpret dreams himself. He had not been trained as a magician and did not have any dream books to consult. 
He was not highly educated and intellectually capable like Pharaoh's wise men. Joseph knew that God could be trusted to give him wisdom and understanding. That's where it stood for Joseph. Joseph also knew he could not accept recognition for something God did. And that's our third principle today, is that humility brings glory to God. He was being really humble. And here's some biblical background for that. James chapter 1, verses 16 to 17 tell us this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So every ability that we have, the way that God's gifted us, whether uh, with our mind or with our hands or with music or whatever the case may be, with athletics uh, or other things, it's because God has gifted you that way. It's not because of any other reason. God has gifted you that way. That's what James tells us. Proverbs 2, 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's who we go to to find wisdom and knowledge is to the Lord. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. We just need to cry out to him for wisdom. Matthew writes in chapter 23, verse 12, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So Joseph knew that God was the one who is the source of dreams and their interpretation. Joseph witnessed for the true and living God before a king who ruled over a culture that was polytheistic. They worshipped God's creation, but not him. They worshipped uh, um, Rai, or Ra, I'm not sure how you say it. You know, like the sun god, right? They worshipped all these other things, but they didn't worship the true and living God. And so he witnessed in a very humble way by simply pointing to God and not himself. And that was going to bring glory to God when Pharaoh acknowledged Joseph's God as the interpreter of his dream. So the question for you today is, where are you at? Do you recognize that God is the one who's given you specific gifts and abilities, or are you taking the credit yourself? Are you exalting yourself? Do you need to humble yourself before a great and mighty God who created you and gifted you? Maybe you're ready to take that third step today is to just humbly acknowledge that God has gifted me so that he receives the glory. Joseph did what, all, uh, what we should all do, and he pointed Pharaoh to the source of all dreams and interpretations. God would give Pharaoh the meaning of his dream. So Pharaoh retells the dream to, to Joseph. He talks first about the cow dream, and he recounted the dream that he had about those cows. He shared about the healthy cows and the lean cows both coming up out of the water. But he adds here that he had never seen such ugly cows in all of Egypt as the second set of cows uh, that were scrawny and lean came up out of the water. He shared again that the scrawny, lean, and ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows. But also he adds here that even after the lean cows gorged themselves on the fat cows, that you couldn't tell the difference in their appearance. They didn't look full. They were still all skinny and scrawny and ugly looking. It had no effect. Then he explains again about the seven full and good heads of grain growing on a single stalk, and they were swallowed up by the seven withered and thin heads of grain that sprouted on the same stalk. And Pharaoh had told his magicians, but they could not explain the dream to him. So then Joseph explained that both dreams are one and the same, and that God was revealing to Joseph what he was about to do. And so God can be trusted with his wisdom to give us wisdom. We see the interpretation here. The number seven is explained. The seven good cows and the seven good heads of grain represented seven years. The same thing with the seven lean cows and the seven worthless heads of grain represented seven years. And then we understand the, that the condition of the cows and the heads of grain meant something specific. 
The seven good cows and the seven good heads of grain represented seven years of great abundance. And the seven lean, ugly cows and the seven worthless heads of grain represented seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine were so great, were going to be so great, that the seven years of abundance would not be remembered. So just think about this for a minute. The Egyptians were not going to say to each other, oh, do you remember the good old days? No, that's how severe this was going to be. They're not, they're not even going to remember the good old days. They're not going to remember those seven years of abundance where God just provided in incredible ways because this famine was going to be so severe. And so that's what they were looking at. That's what they were going to be up against. And so um, they would uh, be so consumed by the hardship and difficulty of the famine and as we'll see, the seven years of famine would strip them of everything they had, including their freedom. They started buying the grain with the money that they had. When they ran out of money, then um, Joseph said, well, uh, we'll just take your land. Just give us your land. And they're like, okay, and uh, we'll just give us your animals. Okay, and, and eventually he says, well, just give me your, your lives. Just become slaves to Pharaoh. They lost everything. That's how bad this famine was. That's why they're never going to remember the good old days. And once the meaning of the dream was explained, Joseph also explained why Pharaoh had the dream in two forms. It was because it was firmly decided by God that there would be seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. And God would do it soon. The fourth principle we see this morning is that God is sovereign. Joseph tells Pharaoh twice that God has revealed to him what he's about to do. He said it in verse 25 and verse 28. Joseph also tells Pharaoh that God will do it soon. That's verse 32. The sovereignty of God is that he has the right to rule and he rules rightly in our lives. God had determined that there would be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. And as the narrative about Joseph unfolds, we'll see that his family travels you know, from Canaan down to Egypt to get food, which opens the door for restoration and forgiveness. God is orchestrating everything in his sovereignty to accomplish his plan and purpose for Joseph and ultimately Jacob's family. He's accomplishing just what he wanted to accomplish. And so Joseph knew that God could be trusted to give him wisdom about the dream. And finally, we see God's plan communicated through Joseph. And this is verses 33 to 38. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine." The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom, uh, in whom is the Spirit of God? And so as we get to this plan, uh, it's God's plan, communicated through Joseph. And he says, Pharaoh, you need to appoint a wise and discerning man to be in charge of the land of Egypt. And he would oversee the commissioners as they executed the plan. The commissioners would be accountable to the overseer. They would collect a fifth of the harvest during the seven years of abundance. They would store the food in the various cities, and it would be under Pharaoh's authority. So if you stole it, you're in trouble. You're probably going to die. And it would be ready so that they would be able to give it to the people and distribute it during the seven years of famine. This would ensure that Egypt would not be ruined by the famine. God knew what he was about to do, 
but he was not going to leave the Egyptians or the other countries around them without hope or a plan. And so Joseph knew that God could be trusted with a perfect plan. God can be trusted to help us with a perfect plan to deal with the difficulties we're currently experiencing. Then we see Pharaoh's approval here. He and his officials think, this is a great idea, right? This is a really good idea. Then Pharaoh asked his officials if they could find anyone like Joseph who had the Spirit of God in him. You know what Pharaoh realized here? That he didn't have any wise and discerning men in his court because none of the magicians and wise men could interpret his dream. He's like, I don't really have anybody. These guys were worthless. <laughs> Can we find anyone like Joseph? Well, he says, Pharaoh wisely receives God's words and responds accordingly. Had Pharaoh not received God's words, Egypt would have faced God's judgment. They would have died in this famine. It just would have wiped them out. You know, and so as we come to the end of this message today, a couple of things to just review. What do you need to trust God's perfect timing for in your life? We talked about that early on. What shortcomings do you need to confess to the Lord and to others? Where do you need to humbly acknowledge God's gifting in your life so that He will receive the glory? And you know, as a body of believers, we can ask those same questions. What do we need to trust God's perfect timing for in the church here at Idaville? What shortcomings do we need to confess before the Lord so that He'll be honored and glorified? Where do we need to humbly acknowledge God's gifting in our church so that He'll receive the glory? Leif Anderson uh, shares this illustration. He says, I have a friend who has done a very interesting thing. He has lived frugally and saved sacrificially in order to have a cash account larger than his yearly salary. I'm not going to tell you the interesting name of his account, but here we'll just refer to it as his goodbye to you account. When he had finally accumulated more money than a year's pay, he took his bank statement and showed it to his boss. He explained it as his goodbye to you account. He wasn't quitting his job. But he was just saying, if ever the boss doesn't treat him right or if things ever go wrong, he's not dependent upon the boss. He has his money, this money, and he can say goodbye. He has independence, right? That's what Joseph was trying to help the Egyptians understand. We need to get to a point where we're not going to rely upon anyone else. We need to save up during this seven years of abundance so that when this famine comes in, it's going to be bad. It's going to be so bad that you're not going to remember the abundance that we just had. But he said, we'll be able to go to those reserves and we'll have what we need so that we don't have to be dependent on anybody else. The same is true of us today. And, you know, aren't you glad that Joseph didn't say, it's just, it's time to quit. I'm done. Right? It's always too soon for us to quit, to throw in the towel. We don't know all that God's doing, but if you are trusting in him completely, and we can, God can be trusted with his perfect timing, his perfect wisdom, and his perfect plan for our lives. And when we're focusing upon him and what he wants us to do, we can be patient. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to feel depressed because we know that God's working it out for his glory and what's best for us. So as the worship team prepares to lead us in a closing song and as the ushers prepare to take up the tithes and offerings, would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, we come to you today we are so grateful that we can trust you completely. We thank you that your timing is perfect, that your wisdom is perfect, that your plan is perfect. And Lord, today, I pray that you would work in the hearts and the minds of your people 
you would speak to them right where they need to be spoken to today, that you would challenge them, that you would encourage them with the words from your Bible today. And would they trust in you completely? And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.